0: if you have his word, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And welcome to week 3 of a series that we are calling Where There's Smoke. It's a picture of understanding the condition of our hearts by looking at our emotions and our feelings. It was St. Augustine, the 5th century Christian theologian, who once said that our emotions function like smoke from a fire. That our emotions show us or reveal to us the condition of our heart. So think about this. What has the power? So what has the power to turn normal human beings into people that shut down or people that lash out or people that explode with rage? And the answer is our emotions. Our emotions, although a gift from God, there are circumstances, there are Places that can bring out destructive emotions in, in all of us. Week one, we looked at depression and just the, the picture of, of that. Last week, we focused on anxiety and worry. And this morning, we're going to get into a, an emotion that all of us deal with to varying degrees. And that is, of course, anger. And I think most of you would probably agree with me that we live in an angry society. Um, The issues change by the day, but the anger doesn't. The anger remains the same. People seem queued up and ready to be angry at something, whether it be in in the classroom, whether it be at work, whether it be um, online, whether it be at a sporting event, whether your team loses and you're ready to riot, or whether you're just a a knucklehead parent at a ballpark, um, just ready to fight. Um, we, We see it all the time, or in traffic. We see anger on display in so many different forms, and many of us have experienced how anger, in particular, has tremendous power to hurt, not to heal. Um, Recently, I I was a a part or had the privilege of being a part of a conversation that Brother Larry and Miss Sharon were having. Um, It was an amazing situation. They were talking about their fights over the years and and an amazing moment of humility, Um, Brother Larry just basically said, honey, I've blown up so many times at you. And I want to apologize, and I want to ask you, how have you managed to remain calm after all um, my attacks over the years? And she said, basically, it's been easy. I've just cleaned the toilets after every fight. To which I interjected and said, does that really work? And she said, yes, because I use his toothbrush. (laughs) So there, there are good ways and there are bad ways to deal um, with anger. So do not go and do likewise on, on that one at all. Um, but yet, keeping the focus on anger, let, let's just say this. We, we must understand that anger is a destroyer. Anger does not build up. It destroys. It destroys friends. It destroys marriages. It destroys children. So what exactly is anger? Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure and antagonism. It leads to um, forceful, sometimes even violent action directed at the source of what we perceive to be real or perceived harm, or it can be manifested in, in words, oftentimes very strong words. Has anyone else besides me had those moments where something is coming out of your mouth and you find yourself asking, who is this person? Anybody? So a few, a few of us are being honest today. And I, I don't know any one of us that hasn't looked back on our, our past and wished that there was something that we said that we could take back or some action that we, the way we responded, we wish we could, we could take back. We all have those regrets. And now that we're outed together as wicked people, um, we can kind of do some work and we can move on a bit. And let me just begin by saying this. Not every type of anger is sinful. Not every type of anger is uncalled for. In Ephesians 4.26, the Apostle Paul said this, Be angry, it's a command, be angry and do not sin. So be angry and do not sin. So from this passage, there appears to be a righteous, holy anger. That that we are called to, to have. Righteous anger means that we hate what God hates, that we see things the way He sees, and that we join Him in being anger or angry, excuse me, over evil, meaning, but not limited to the slaughter of unborn children. That should anger us. Ethnic and economic injustices, abuse, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, whether it be sexual, that should anger us. Sex Trafficking, human slavery, adultery, the plight of the refugee, Christian persecution, and other such evils should be stood against for the glory of God and for the good of humanity. Those things should upset us because God hates them and we should hate what God hates. That's righteous anger. On the other hand, we have unrighteous anger where we find ourselves. Defending our sin, defending ourselves, or defending our kingdom. So think about that. Two types of anger. Righteous anger, unrighteous anger. Which, which do we most spend our time in? Unfortunately, it's probably not the righteous anger. It's probably we are defending our kingdom, our sin, or ourselves. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us with humility to come to the Word of God and specifically to the, to the words of Christ this morning and confronting the anger that lives in all of us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, the words of Christ. In the middle, we come to the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you, be, or, and, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, we know that there is a righteous anger. Lord, your word paints that picture very clear, God. That anger is of you, but yet, Lord, there is also an unrighteous anger where we spend a lot of our our time and our anger in. Father, today we pray that you would, God, convict us and do a work in our hearts. God, as we just focus on this picture of anger, God, help us, Lord, to see the, the true way out today. And, Lord, help us to take it. By your grace, for your glory, help us to take it. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So have you ever thought about the fact that anger is really a second emotion? Anger is not a first emotion. It's a second emotion. And this statement kind of intrigued me, but also it rings so true. There's never been a time in most of our lives when we were just angry first. We get angry because of something. So think about this. Sadness or hurt arises, and then as a second emotion, we get angry. First comes disappointment or disillusionment, and then comes anger. First comes hunger and impatience, then comes anger, or as we call it, hangry. We get hungry and get angry. At the same time, I used to, when we would go on mission trips with, with Morgan, I would always take Snickers, and she would get hangry, and I would just hand her back and say, hey, eat, eat this and you'll feel better. So we get hangry at, at times and all of these things. So when we carry around anger, it changes us. for Not for the better, but for the worse. It, we become bitter. We start hating things that we once loved. Anger destroys relationships. It hurts the people around us that we care for most. And I wish I could stand up here this morning and say, I ha- haven't had any issues with that this week. Unfortunately, there's probably not one person in my family that I have not lashed out in some way this week, not for their good, but for their harm. And, and dealing with that, we try so hard at times to leave anger aside. Instead, it follows us into our everyday lives. We're, we're triggered by something, and suddenly we're, we're yelling or, or we're responding in ways that are not godlike, but ways that are very, very manlike. Eventually, our anger can even control us, making us like a puppet on a string, and it is the one that's leading us. So when all of those things are happening, the question becomes, um, what is the heart of my anger? And this morning, we're not going to look at the, the best and healthiest expressions of anger. Instead, we're going to focus on how anger reveals the state and condition of our hearts, because that's what the Bible focuses on. We must come to see anger like we do the light on a dashboard of our cars that reveals that something is going on within the heart of our cars, meaning the engine. Um, I, I would not, uh, I thought about asking you to raise your hand today. How many of you right now are driving around in your cars and the, the, one of the lights is on in your cars, but I won't do that um, because that would totally mess up kind of where we're going. I, I, there was a time in my life when I had a truck and I had a light on and I just eventually took a black piece of uh, tape and taped it on over because I was tired of of seeing it. That's not how I want you to respond today um, to to this. I beg you this morning, in light of the heaviness of this topic, in light of the hurt of this topic, to to heed the warnings. Heed the warnings of what we're talking about. And let's let's dive in this morning and unpack three truths together um, in in response to, to anger. The first is this. There are roots... Buried deep within our hearts, there are roots that are buried deep within our hearts. The um, the writer of Hebrews um, in Hebrews twelve says there are roots of bitterness, roots of bitterness that go deep down. Jesus, we just read it. He says, "I say to everyone who is angry with his brother, you will be liable to judgment." And hear that again. There are roots buried deep in our hearts. Roots of discouragement, roots of worry, roots of anger, roots of bitterness. And here's what's most true of us. Most of us in this room, instead of dealing with roots, instead of pulling out weeds, we choose to focus on surface issues. I mean, not many of us in here like pulling weeds. It's just not fun. Pulling weeds is not a fun thing. Most of us evaluate our lives and we evaluate the lives of others based on external circumstances. We live in a world where we do not see naturally the way God sees. 1 Samuel sixteen seven, God says, Man looks at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. Yet, think about this. As we model our outward accomplishments, what we fail to see is how far we've lowered the bar. We have lowered the bar so far in not just our society. We've lowered the bar in the church You think about this. Jesus began this whole picture of kind of um, the the teachings of man versus his teachings with the topic of murder. When was the last time you heard someone brag about not murdering? Now, some of you, I know this, every time I try to share the gospel with people, I hear it a lot. Well, I've never killed anybody, and that seems to be the one thing people come, come back to. But here's the thing. We shouldn't brag about things that should be true of us. What I mean by that is this. It wouldn't make much sense for me to stand up here and brag and say, well, I've never been to jail. Or I'm a good father. You know, I'm supposed to be a good father. Hello, we're supposed to do those things. It doesn't make sense for us to brag about things that we shouldn't be doing anyway or that we should be doing. But think about murder. From the first crime in the Bible all the way to the end of Scripture, murder is seen as a biblical issue. All throughout the Word, um, murder or murder is an Um, executable offense because murder is not just a violation of God's law but an assault on God's image in us therefore it's an assault on God himself and let me just be very clear here murder does not happen because of social poverty murder happens because of human depravity That's why murder happens, because we are humanly depraved. We are sinful. Therefore, it's not enough that we just say, well, I've never murdered anybody. That's not enough. We must choose to go beyond the visible appearance and be willing to go where God himself goes. And where where does God go? He goes to the heart. He goes to the heart of all of our, our lives, and we must be willing to go there. God chooses to focus on our Invisible attitudes. He chooses to focus on our motives while we do what we do. God is concerned with who we really are, not just who we appear to be. For in the eyes of God, hear this, attitude is just as important as action. If someone asked you today, are you a murderer? Most of you would very um, strongly deny that. You would say, no, I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anyone. Yet what Jesus does here is he connects murder with anger, which both come from the heart, declaring the same punishment for both. So Jesus says, yeah, punishment for murder, but the same punishment for anger. And it's even possible, hear this, for a person who's never even, um, never even had been in a fist fight to have a more of a murderous spirit than an actual murderer. Many people in the deepest parts of their hearts have anger and have hatred to such a degree that they even hate the person even wishing them to be dead. Maybe they'd never say that, but that is their heart's desire. And this is the biblical truth that many people refuse to receive. And in fact, I'm anticipating a couple of object objections even now as you're sitting here. Let me just take on two of objections that sometimes come to our minds when we hear things like this. Some of us will say, well, yeah, I get angry, but I would never murder. I would never murder anybody. And if that's you, let me say this, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The act of murder is not all that God is concerned about. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees thought. That's what they misunderstood. So Jesus makes the point. He's saying you're not off the hook just because you haven't committed murder. I think the point is this. We all misunderstand what we're capable of. We don't understand what we're capable of of doing. We've created this us versus them mentality. Like this is us. We're the good ones. That's them, all the criminals and the the murderers. And we fail to realize that the same thing that's in them is in us. The same sin that's in them is in us. Timothy Keller, Pastor Tim Keller put it um, powerfully in an analogy of two acorns. Listen to what he says. He says, both of them can grow an entire oak tree. In other words, the whole tree is there in miniature, and they are equally potent. They are equally acorns. But one acorn falls into the ground. It's fertile ground. It's watered ground. And up comes a tree. The other acorn falls on concrete, and it eventually just rots. Would you say that one that produced the tree was a better acorn, a greater acorn, or a truer acorn? No. It just had different conditions. Then he drives home this point. He says, Jesus is saying, do not look at murderers and say, how could anybody do that? You didn't have their family life. You didn't have their background. You didn't have their situation. What they did was absolutely wrong. But don't you know You have the same seeds living in you. You just haven't fallen into that kind of ground yet. We are no better. Not if our anger is filled with resentment. Not if we hold grudges. Not if we have contentment against other people. If murder is like a tree and the tree is wrong, then the acorn that produces that tree is also wrong. God didn't just forbid the tree, He forbid the acorn. And that acorn is in us. Brothers and sisters, poison is poison. Why would you want to go around walking, um, carrying something in your heart that can destroy you? That is what anger is. Anger is drinking poison, expecting the other person to suffer. All the while, you and I are the ones suffering. And then another objection is this. Yeah, but didn't Jesus get angry? Now, my first response could be, yeah, but you're not Jesus. Um, So that that could be the first way um, to approach it, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say, yes, Jesus absolutely got angry. He overturned tables. He cast out money changers from the temple. He was angered by hypocrites. He even called people blind fools. And we know that the Bible talks about God's anger quite a bit. Despite um, popular opinion of the day, saying, well, God never gets angry. The no, Bible makes it very clear God does get angry. He is an angry God. He is angry towards sin. I think of what um, Pastor Paul Tripp said once. He said, sometimes we can treat God's anger like we treat the embarrassing uncle in our extended family. Men, if you have no idea who that is, it's probably you, um, just so you know. But we, we work hard to keep um, this anger Attribute of God away from public exposure. We act as if anger were the dark side of God's character and we need to keep it hidden. But he says this, God doesn't have a dark side. Hear that again, God doesn't have a dark side. He would not, God would not uh, violate the standard he calls us to. Therefore, by necessity, the anger that God has must be good. And here's what we know. Jesus' anger had to do with the glory of His Father being belittled. Let me ask you two questions. How much of your anger has to do with the glory of God? All of His did. How much of your anger this past week had anything to do with the kingdom of God? Anytime we see Jesus angry, none of His ego is wrapped up in it. None of it is wrapped up in it. When he was arrested, tried, beaten, spit upon, crucified, mocked, when in fact Jesus had every reason for his ego to be involved, Scripture tells us in 1 Peter, he did not retaliate. He did or he made no threats. From his parched lips came the words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing How could these things, um, how could he do these things? How could these things be be true? And here's the the point. Jesus loved the glory of the Father above all else. All of his anger had to do with that. Oh, that ours did. There are roots buried within our hearts. Angry roots, bitter roots that we need to expose to God our Heavenly Father, to the Word of God and allow Him to pull those roots and those weeds from us. But secondly, second truth, and this is another reminder or indicator, there are words revealing the condition of our heart. So there are words that reveal the condition of our heart. So Jesus moves quickly from anger that exists in the heart to worthless words that come from the heart. Jesus says here in Matthew 5, whoever insults his heart brother, will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And the whole point is that our words are windows to our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds first from the heart. So our words are very telling. The picture here is that if our words do not bring honor to God, then Our hearts aren't right with God. These verses should make us either, number one, never want to open our mouths again, or two, should make us pay very close attention to the words that we're speaking. And the question that comes from these words are, what are our words? The words that you spoke this week, what have they shown about the condition of your heart? And what our words often show is that our words become Weapons from our hearts. And what Jesus is saying is that when you let anger fester in your hearts, when you let it grow, then you will very quickly and you will very grotesquely become experts at other people's sins and other people's weaknesses. When you let anger grow, you will begin to become experts at other people's problems. Now, you'll miss all your own you won't be able to see one sin of yourself, but you'll be able to see a thousand sins of everybody else. And when this happens, we carry out character assassination by using our words purposefully to wound people deeply. And maybe we would, maybe our, our defense right now is going, well, they never hear the words. I'm not saying them to them. I'm just thanking them in my, oh, oh, hang on. Thanking them in my, oh. Hang on a second. Listen, whether the declaration is raka, which is, um, could be meaning empty-headed or worthless idiot, the point is clear. When we are angry at someone, we don't see their life as being valuable. In fact, maybe sometimes there's, we couldn't say one positive thing about them if we had to. But here's the whole point of our anger is that we use our words as intentional weapons to hurt people. Therefore, we must continue to listen to our words to continue to know the condition of our hearts. We need to be reminded of the warning that God gave to Cain of the attitude of of his heart. It wasn't Cain's offering that was necessarily the problem. It was the attitude of his heart. But God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry, Cain? If you do well, will you not um, be lifted up or will, will you not be accepted? And then he says, Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Do you remember how the book of Jonah ends? Jonah is up on a hill wanting Nineveh to be destroyed and he's complaining and angry with God. And God asks him the question, Jonah, are you right to be angry? And Jonah responds, you better believe I'm right to be angry. I mean, just imagine that. Do you see what the Lord is doing He's pressing in on Cain's heart, and he's pressing in on Jonah's heart. And right now, I believe, based on his word and by his spirit, he's pressing in on our hearts. He's pressing in, even in this moment, on our hearts. Listen, it's amazing how far anger will take us if left unchecked. Therefore, God has shown us, we we can know the condition of our hearts, listen to our words. Don't just listen to the words of other people. Listen to your own words. Listen to how you speak to your husband or wife. Listen to how you speak to your children. Listen to how you speak to people in traffic. Listen to how you speak to people who don't share opinions that you share. Listen to how we respond to them. Our words are revealing the condition of our hearts. So there are words There are roots buried deep within our hearts. There are words revealing the condition of our heart. And the last truth is this. There is worship that is kept from touching our hearts. There is worship that is kept from touching our hearts. Here's what we know. We were created for the glory of God. That's why we were created. In fact, the Bible says we're saved for the glory of God. We're reflecting That desire for God's glory when we meet here. This is why we're here. In case you're wondering why you're here today, you're here not to make much of you. You're here to make much of Him. We're here not for our glory. We're here for the glory of God. Yeah, I pray that as we walk out of here, we, we feel better, we're encouraged, or maybe we're discouraged or convicted in doing something. But ultimately, I pray that we are doing all that we're doing today so that God might be glorified. But here's the point. We cannot afford to forget that we are or what we are before God involves how we relate to one another. When our hearts are not right, hear this, with others, it means our hearts are not right with God. Jesus says it. Verses 23 and 24. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift There before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And what that means is very clear. Reconciliation comes before corporate worship of God. Hear this, hear this. It is more important to be reconciled with your brother than to engage in a religious ceremony. It is more important to be reconciled with your sister than to be engaged in a religious ceremony. It's not that religious ceremonies like church are trivial or secondary. No, it's because only as these things are free from hypocrisy will God be truly glorified. And if we're in here in this moment and we hate our brothers and sisters, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. It's not worship to God. We are taking something from God that He, he deserves and we're keeping it within ourselves. D.A. Carson says this, Men love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love, but Jesus will have none of it. Many people love to cover broken relationships with church. But Jesus' point for us today is that coming to church and asking for God's forgiveness while you have unforgiveness in your heart is not enough. We must first ask forgiveness of the one that we have offended or who have offended us. We must seek reconciliation there. Let, Let me just make a very clear statement this morning. I'm not taking away from what I'm going to say, but I'm going to just make it very clear. Worship is not always enhanced by better music or better preaching. Worship is enhanced by better relationships. By better relationships. Meaning, if you want to enhance this worship service right now, then here's how you do it. Everyone who's got something against someone else, you leave and you don't come back until you get it right. That's what Jesus is saying. If you have something against someone else, you leave and you don't come back into a place of worship until you get it right. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't want to hear it. Right now, some of you are going, I can't believe he just said that. No, I didn't say that. Jesus did. So just understand, you can be mad at me all you want to, but when Jesus speaks, we got to deal with what he says. If you're here this morning and you're at odds with someone else, there is a problem. The problem is so big that Jesus says, don't come to my altar, go make it right. Therefore, reconciliation becomes before our worship or our corporate worship of God because reconciliation honors God. And reconciliation shows that we have a relationship with God. And what I mean by that is this. The reality is we, those of us in this room who are believers, who are Christians, we have received the gracious forgiveness of God. And we who have received His forgiveness should be quick To extend that forgiveness to others. Are you reflecting the heart of God in your relationship with others? That's kind of the point here. I think about it like this. In Ephesians 4, um, beginning at verse 26, Paul takes on this issue. And he says, be angry and do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger or on your wrath. Meaning, as a Christian, if my anger um, is with a brother or sister in Christ, then I need to go to bed knowing that the cross has covered that. The cross has covered that. Or if it's with uh, unbelieving brother and sister, I need to go to bed knowing vengeance is not mine, it's the Lord's. He will take care of this. He will make it right. Not in my timing, but in His. But then even there, the Apostle Paul ends with these words. This whole section of be angry and do not sin, he ends by saying this, in the same way that Christ has forgiven you, so you also must forgive others. So the point seems to be if we want freedom from the anger that we're carrying around, we must be willing to forgive. That is the way out. Peter, Peter I love Peter. Don't you love Simon Peter? Because Peter, he, he asked Jesus the things that we, would, that we think, the things that we would say. And one time Peter came to Jesus and he said, How many times did I forgive? Seven times? I often wonder who was Peter thinking about. Was it his wife? Was it his brother? Was it his, you know? Um, was it somebody else? Where Peter was like, "They're on number six, and when we get to number seven, it's over." I mean, what was he thinking? I wonder. I just wonder what Peter was thinking about when that number came to his mind. And then Jesus responds by saying, "No, no, no. Seventy times seven. So we would think, well, seventy times seven, four hundred ninety. So that means on the four hundred ninety-first time, it's on." But no, that's not what that means. When we look into it, we realize that seven is really the number of completion. But here's another kicker. So is ten. So seven times ten, seventy. You have double completion. And then times seven, Jesus tacks on one more seven just for good measure. So what Jesus is saying is this. We should forgive completely times completely with another completely thrown in for good measure. That's the point Jesus is telling us. We should forgive completely over and over and over again. Why? Because forgiveness is the weapon that we use to battle our anger. We give it away for the sake of Jesus. I love what Pastor C.J. Mahaney says. I'm going to close with this, this quote. He says, when I become bitter or unforgiving towards others, I'm assuming that the sins of others are more serious than my sins against God. The cross transforms my perspective. Through the cross, I realize that no sin committed against me will ever be as serious as the innumerable sins I've committed against God. Let me say that again for those of you not paying attention in this moment. Through the cross, we realize that no sin that could ever be committed against Us will ever be as serious as the sin upon sin upon sin that we have committed against God. Then he says this. When we understand how much God has forgiven us, it's not difficult to forgive others. Because we are the most forgiven people in the world, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. We are the most forgiven people in the world as children of God. Therefore, how should we respond to that forgiveness? Should we respond by withholding that from everybody and choosing to be the judge, juror, and executioner of everyone who we don't like? No. Because we have been forgiven much, we should also love much and forgive much. We should forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us. And I know what I'm saying is not natural. It's not natural. You don't naturally do that, but it's something done through a supernatural um, invitation, a supernatural thing that takes place in our lives because the God of the universe lives in us. Therefore, we have his supernatural power and we can. We can. We can forgive. We can see these roots of anger rooted up in our hearts and lives. We can come to see our words and hear words that bring glory and honor to God and also words that are encouraging to other people. Okay. You know, Morgan has had a couple of hard days at school with different things and, and we've been um, calling and texting and all kinds of different things, but I've been praying. And before I talk to her, I pray, God, give me the words. God, give me the words because words are powerful. Words mean something. So God, give me the right words to speak in a way that points her not to myself, but to point to you. And that's, oh, that God would allow us to use our words in that way. I'm going to end this morning and ask us to do something. We don't do a whole lot, but I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because I I do believe that this is a subject, that you know, anxiety and depression are things that we deal with, but anger is something that many of us deal with on a daily basis. And let me just ask this question. I'm going to ask two questions. But if you're here this morning and you would say, I... I have to be honest in this moment because church is a good place to be honest. I have an angry heart. I'm prone to outbursts. I'm dealing with hatred in my heart towards someone else. I'm dealing with pride that's keeping me from going to that person. I just have anger in my heart, and I don't want it to be there. If that's you today, would you lift your hand as a outward sign of confession so I could pray for you? Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray in just a second. But may, maybe you didn't raise your hand there, but here's the next question. Maybe you're here in this, this moment, and right now you know the Spirit of God is convicting you that there is a conversation you need to have this week with someone who you need to either forgive or you need to ask them for their forgiveness. If, if that's you, would, would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands. I know there's others as well. Brothers and sisters, listen, it's important that we get these relationships right. It's important that we allow God to remove this anger from our hearts. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to ask the musicians to come forward as your heads are still bowed and eyes closed. And we're going to pray together. Father, we come before you. And God, we thank you that you do not and have not treated us as though as, as what we deserve, God. You have. Treated us, Lord, as we sang this morning grace, grace, God's grace. Your grace is greater than all of our sin, even the sin of anger. God, we pray this morning that you would, all across this room, by your Holy Spirit's power, not our power, we don't have the power you do, may you begin to pull up roots of, of anger and bitterness that are in our hearts. Pull it out, God. Not just up to the service, but out. Free us, God, from the anger. Free us from carrying the burden. Lord, if it's a anger that we have maybe to another brother or sister, God, help us to look to the cross. If it's an anger that we have, God, with someone who's not a brother or sister, God, help us to trust you, that you, you will do what's right. That vengeance is yours. That you will make it right. Yes. So I pray all across this room for people who as they've heard these words this morning, your word, they've been reminded of a wrong that they have against a brother or sister. Oh God, help them not to keep that to themselves. Help them, God, to go to that brother or sister and to seek not just restoration. Sometimes restoration isn't possible, but yet forgiveness can be. So I just pray that they would go and own their part, God, and seek forgiveness and give away that for the sake of your glory, for the sake of that relationship. Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that you are slow to anger. For God, if you were not slow to anger, none of us would be here. God, thank you that you're slow to anger. That your grace is that you're abounding in steadfast love. Father, just finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.